करते गुड मॉर्निंग एवरीवन हियर ओ इज़राइल द लॉर्ड आवर गॉड द लॉर्ड इज़ वन एंड यू शैल लव द लॉर्ड योर गॉड विद ऑल योर हार्ट ऑल योर सोल एंड ऑल योर माइंड आई लव हियरिंग सॉन्ग्स अबाउट द ट्रिनिटी बिकॉज़ गॉड इज़ वन three persons in god is a mystery that we cannot understand but yet we rejoice in because we need each and every person of that trinity and we need to hear and listen and take our praises to god it is a wonderful morning to be gathered together to share in god's word to share in god's throne room to offer praise to the almighty god to listen to the word that he shares with us and we're working our way through the right acronym to refresh our minds about what we stand for as a church and as Christians. Dirk and Katie Jaspers will be here in a few weeks and we will be going through some changes and adjustments over the next few months, no question about it. And so uh, as elders, we thought it would be good to recenter ourselves to look at what we stand for. And first of course, we stand for Jesus Christ. We all know that. But let's look at what that means in our day-to-day lives and that's why The founders of this church came up with this acronym light and so we're going to go through that and we're going to talk about those various aspects of it. And we started out first with the letter L. Loving one another. And we reviewed John 13:34 and 35 where Jesus said, "A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this all people will know that you are my disciples." if you have love for one another. First John 4:7 told us, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And 1 Peter 1:22 told us, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And 4:8 and 1 Peter said, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. And agape love walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Well, the next discussed I inspired by biblical truth and the word of God as we all know is the sole and final authority for all matters of faith and living. It is mediated to us through the Holy Spirit who prompts us, teaches us, corrects us and trains us. As the psalmist says, it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We should store it up in our hearts that we might not sin against God. Jesus warned us to beware the wolves in sheep's clothing, and we know them when they preach something other than Jesus being the only way, truth and light. Last week we discussed G, gospel sharing, and the great commission. And while it is important to share the seed extravagantly, and remember there is an inexhaustible supply of seed, we can spread as much as we want as we can anywhere and we'll never run out it is just as important to make disciples teach baptize those who proclaim Jesus Christ as their lord and savior and any gospel that does not preach the sinful nature of man and the need for salvation the saving works of Jesus Christ and his resurrection and the rebirth as a new creation once we accept Jesus as lord and savior is a false gospel We need not be ashamed of the gospel, but we should preach it freely 
and openly, without fear, without taking time to consider, is this a good time or not, or is this person open to it? God tells us, sow the seeds extravagantly wherever you go. And today we're discussing the H in our acrostic, helping hands. Our statement of faith, or our statement of belief says, we believe we are called to put our faith into action. As God gives us opportunity, we need to meet the needs of the hurting and needy around us. This also calls us the practical support and help of our Christian family, the local church. The scriptural references for helping hands are 1 John 3.18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. James 2.15 and 16. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? And Acts 2.45 says, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Let us contemplate God's word and go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are the author of life. You have sent us Jesus Christ to pay the price for our sins. You have given us your word. You have shown us through Jesus Christ what we need in order to live in communion with you, Lord. And so we pray today that you would put your words into our hearts, that we might know how to extend helping hands to those in the community of faith and to those in the community around us, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, putting our faith into action. Well, it has many, many faces. Meeting the needs of hurting and needy people around us can take many forms. And it's sometimes hard to distinguish the biblically wise action to take. Eli talked about that a little bit a few months ago. But within the church, supporting and helping our Christian family, the local church, in a practical way requires not only generosity on our part, but also vulnerability and honesty. And that may not make sense in terms of giving, but it does give when we're vulnerable, and we'll explain how that is. But all of these things, generosity, vulnerability, honesty, are challenges for us. And so we're going to look at some scriptures to flesh these things out so that we understand what God tells us and why he tells us that. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Well, let's take a look at the entire paragraph from 1 John to get some more context about them. So starting at uh, <clears throat> 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 through 18, it says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. We ought also to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Well, these are strong words from the Apostle John. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters in Christ. He doesn't say, mow the yard for them. He doesn't say, make them a meal. They are important things to do in the right circumstances, but John is talking about a much more sacrificial and expansive love, a love that recognizes that God has blessed us with things, with money, with talents, with gifts, for the sole purpose of helping those around us who are in need. He gives us things so we can give them away. A selfless, serving love 
an agape love. A love that is not just the words, oh, I love you, man, but a love accompanied by deeds and in truth. Jesus told us in John 15, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love than this, there has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. Well, that's two times we're told to lay down our lives. Jesus, in later John, exhorts his disciples that they ought to lay down their lives for the brethren should such a sacrifice be necessary. Well, we really don't see that very much in this country where we would need to do that. I would submit to you that there are plenty of places in the world right now where that might be a real need. But it also refers here to something more extensive than only some theoretical sacrificial death for a fellow believer. Because we look at, well, yeah, I, I could probably do that, or maybe I couldn't do that. But this becomes clear that it's more than just simply that theoretical thing from the next statement about having goods that somebody needs. The generous, compassionate love of believers is so much different from the selfish indifference of unbelievers. Generous, compassionate love of believers versus selfish indifference. When John talks about the world's goods, he's referring to material wealth. Now, it's true that unbelievers do often give to charitable causes, but most of the time, their philanthropic efforts are usually merely to pacify their consciences, satisfy their emotions, or to bring honor to themselves rather than to bring glory to God. Many people give money to a lot of good causes because... It's the right thing to do. These people need help. But when we give, our motivation for giving is to bring glory to God, which is what unbelievers don't do. They sometimes bring glory to themselves. They sometimes do it just because it salves their conscience. But we do it because God is glorified when we do things for people that are sacrificial things. And that's why Jesus tells us in Matthew 6 to check our motivations. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Ah, and then your Father who sees in secret will reward you. We get our reward from God the Father, not from the praise of humans around us. And when John tells us to not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth, he's telling us that the proof that one has a genuine love and is a child of God rests not in sentiments or in good-sounding words, but in deeds. Jesus talked about this when he described the final judgment when the Son of Man comes in glory and separates the sheep from the goats in Matthew 25. He says, Then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me and I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. 
That's why we give. That's why we extend helping hands. And this is a serious love. This is a serious love. Our helping hands do not merely assist someone in getting up from the chair when they're feeling wobbly. Our helping hands recognize that we have died to ourselves and are living to serve Christ and the members of this church and the world around us. It requires us, though, to pay attention, to give selfishly and generously, and to look for opportunities to extend this helping hand. The good news is that when we are born again in Jesus Christ and become new creations, God's Holy Spirit dwells within us by his grace. This results in a genuine love. We've talked about that before. The only way we experience genuine love is through the operation of the Holy Spirit. And it's the mark of a Christian, and it separates us from the world. By God's grace, a loving willingness to give up everything to help others permeates our attitudes. The Holy Spirit, unless we quench him, and we can, gives us the overwhelming desire to give bountifully to those who are in need. And God provides us with the resources that we need in order to be generous with each other. 1 Timothy 6.17-19 provides, As for the rich in this present age, Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. God's word does not say rich people are evil or sinful. Give away all your money. Take the money away from the rich people. No. He says, though, be generous and be ready to share the riches that God has provided you. And if there's anyone here that thinks, well, I'm not rich, I can tell you that you're richer than 99% of the world's population, regardless of how much you're making. And some are much more wealthy than that. God asks us to use those riches for the benefit of others, to extend helping hands to other people. Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And in the Old Testament at Deuteronomy 15, God says, You shall give to him, the poor man, freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him. Because for this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor, in your land. Paul sums up our need for helping hands in 2 Corinthians 9, 6-12, where he says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things that As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Paul here is referring to the book of the prophet Malachi 
the last book of the Old Testament. And through Malachi, God is chastising Israel for being greedy and selfish and cheap, miserly, by not contributing to the needs of the temple and to the people. And God says, bring me the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Every one of these scriptures says that when you give generously, God's giving generously back to you so that you can give more. He does not let you run out. Friends, I have experienced this to be true throughout my life as a believer. When we have tithed, whether it's money to the church or whatever, regardless of whether we thought we could afford it or not, and many times thought we could not, God has always, always provided for all of our needs. Not our wants, but always our needs. But it's not simply tithes for the church, which God in Malachi or Paul in Corinthians is talking about. It's about extending a helping hand to the hurting and needy around us. It is about giving generously to our brothers and sisters in Christ in whatever they need, whether it's material goods, emotional support, spiritual support, prayer, whatever. That's what we're called to do. And remarkably, our generosity in giving, our sacrificial giving, results in joy. Have you ever felt that joy from giving? The joy that comes when you know you've helped somebody out, you changed somebody's tire, you provided a meal, whatever. Like, that felt pretty good doing that. That's the joy of the Lord. And the joy comes sometimes when you write your check to the church, you put money in the collection plate, you donate to a mission, whatever else. The joy of knowing that you were able to honor God by being obedient to his word and loving him, loving his church and loving his fellow believers. Our giving is a source of joy. I had a friend who ran a ministry who was stressing about having to go to contributors for money. When he looked at his budget in worldly terms, it was hard to see how he could raise the money, how he could approach people and ask for significant amounts of money to continue his work. And what I counseled him is that the Bible made clear that what he was really doing was giving people the opportunity to experience joy, to have the joy of participating in his mission. And by not asking them, he was robbing them of experiencing this joy. Don't we want everyone to experience the joy of the Lord? We do. We get joy when we do that. First Chronicles 29.9 illustrates this point. David had asked for contributions to build the temple. The people responded generously with more than enough to do so. And the Chronicle tells us, Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly. For with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord, and David the king also rejoiced greatly. It was a joy to give generously. They celebrated their joy in giving, as should we. Because 2 Corinthians reminds us, we read there, that God loves a cheerful giver. And Paul, in his final address to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, 35, said, We must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than receive. Well, in Acts, we find several instances of sacrificial giving to meet the needs of the brethren. Chapter 4 refers to landowners selling their property, bringing it to the apostles, and having it distributed to each as any had need. 9.36 speaks of a woman named Dorcas, who is full of good works and acts of charity, who made garments for the poor among her. The church in Antioch sent relief to the brothers in Judea when there was a great famine. In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul talks about the churches of Macedonia, who were extremely poor, but who gave generously. 
And he says, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. These are people that are in extreme poverty, begging for the opportunity to have the joy of giving to those around us. The joy of giving when you don't really have enough to be able to give. But God says there's a reward for doing that. There's a reward for doing that. It is joy and there is a reward in heaven for that as well. And finally in Philippians 4, Paul acknowledges that the Philippians sent him aid a number of times. And he then says, not that I really seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. The benefit to you that comes from giving me the gift. And my God then will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Friends, we cannot outgive God. When we give away what he's given us, he will replenish it so that we will do it again and again to show the love of God through Jesus Christ to our brothers, but also to the unbelievers in the world. So they will say, what a mighty God you serve. Why do you do this? And then we have the opportunity to tell them. And so we're to give sacrificially for the needs of the brethren, just as Christ gave sacrificially for us. Our helping hands offered to our brethren, our helping hands offered to Christ. We get to be identified with the sheep on the last day. I don't know about you, but I want to be a sheep on the last day. I don't want to be shuffled over to that goat pile. I really don't. And finally, our sacrificial giving results in joy. And we're not just talking about money. We're talking about all the things that we give to each other. Whether it's an encouragement, you're doing a great job. Whether it's fixing somebody's car, waxing somebody's floor, changing a flat tire on 79, whatever it happens to be, those are the things that we extend helping hands for. Well, our next scripture is James 2, 15 through 16. And so we're going to read the two surrounding verses as well. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So we have here this clear illustration of temporary faith versus true faith, looking at the parable of the sower from last week, right? So it throws the seed, it lands on the rocky path, it springs up, but then it dies. It's a temporary faith. The genuineness of a profession of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is evidenced more by what a person does than by what he claims. A person who professes Christ but does not love and help his neighbor is a fraud. You can't, you can't be a person who accepts Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life and not help your neighbor. Jesus describes this faith, I mean, sorry, James describes this faith as being dead. He later calls it useless. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Instead, Jesus concludes the parable of the soils by saying, as for what was sown on good soil, 
Not the temporary faith. What was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and another thirty. The person who hears the word and it bears fruit in him bears fruit abundantly, and that's the result of the seed going down into good soil and growing. It's not comfort, it's not satisfaction, it's not an emotional experience every Sunday when you come to church. It is to bear fruit. That's the reason the seed is planted, is to bear fruit. And that's the reason that it's planted in fertile soil for us, so that we will bear fruit. Paul tells us in Ephesians that true believers are not only themselves God's workmanship. He explains, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, but why? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship once we become new creations to perform the good works which he prepared for us from before the beginning of time. He knew every day that we would have before one of them came to be. He prepared good works for us to do for other people as new creations in Jesus Christ. These are not random experiences that we have when we extend a helping hand. They are all about God's eternal plan. God has planned all of this in advance, and he gives us this job to do. You know, it costs us nothing to become believers. But it costs us everything to live fully as a believer. Jesus told us we needed to die to self, pick up our cross, follow him. Nothing that we have or own could pay the cost of salvation. But once we're saved, everything that we have belongs to the Lord. And that's what lordship means. This was Jesus' point in the parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great value. In Matthew 13, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. And then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Have you ever felt that way? when considering your salvation and considering your inheritance in the kingdom of heaven, would you joyfully give up all for that? You know, and I would confess that I don't always feel that way, but there are days that I do. And what a joyous, remarkable feeling that is, to be willing to give up all. Are you willing to die to yourself every day in order to have the kingdom of heaven, which Jesus wants you to have? You know, it is amazing We become engrossed with movies, plays, politics, wars, popular songs, television shows. We weep over national and local tragedies. We become incensed about wrongs and injustices. Yet often we show no concern or compassion for the plight of a next-door neighbor or an acquaintance who is in real need. As John MacArthur says, in our artificial, self-centered world, fantasy often becomes more meaningful than reality. And that's true, and that's sad. But Jesus spoke to this issue on a number of occasions in ways that are impossible to misunderstand. In the story of the Good Samaritan, he made clear that that, that those who belong to him are obligated to help anyone in need, whether friend or stranger, fellow citizen or foreigner, admired or despised. And we're to see that the person's needs are completely met. Otherwise... Will we end up in the line of the goats at the final day if we don't do that? 
if we don't sacrificially take care of those people around us. And I am not saying that our works help us to a pain of salvation. Salvation is by grace through faith alone as a gift of God. Works have no saving power whatsoever. But James says, though, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. If there's no works, there's really no evidence of faith. In verse 20, he says, faith apart from works is useless. Intellectual faith in itself is worthless. Works follow a true conversion. Our helping hands, our good deeds flow from a heart that is at peace with God through the work of Jesus Christ. Our faith is expressed in gratitude to and love for God and for our fellow man. So our acts are a testimony to our faith in God. Well, our final verse is Acts 2.45. And again, it's profitable to read the two surrounding verses with it. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So verse 45 talks about selling possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to others in the church as they had need. Luke applies these verses to all who believe to those today who would be called Christians or believers. So we see a beginning church which took care of one another. They worshiped together, they ate together, they enjoyed the Lord together. They were to extend helping hands for the practical support and help of the church. I do have to emphasize that Luke is not here talking about a commune or communist living, as some would have you believe in today's preaching. He describes the early church as having a spiritual unity and a practical oneness. The family, not some commune and not the church, was the basic social unit in God's design, and it continued to be so after the resurrection of Christ and the establishment of the church. But this mutual meeting of the needs of others in the community of faith had been a long-standing tradition in Israel during the great religious feasts. They would have a million or more people come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover, and the inns could not accommodate the influx of people during those feast times, and so the common people opened their homes to share their resources with the visitors. Many members of the early church were pilgrims, saved at, while visiting Jerusalem at Pentecost, and it was therefore essential that their needs be met. And so this continued, this Old Testament tradition continued on in the New Testament as a tradition within the church, taking care of one another. And when it says they were selling and distributing, the grammatical reason or the grammatical words there denote a continuous past action, not a one-and-done deal. Not say, okay, when they got together, they all sold everything, and they threw it in a pot. No, it was a continuous thing where they would give as people had need. They would sell as people had need. And had it been a communist type of a situation where everybody took their property, sold it, and put it in a common pot, it would have been unnecessary uh, to, for Paul to have given the Christians a duty to give in response to the Holy Spirit's prompting, as it says in 1 Corinthians. And in verse 46 in Acts, it says, individuals still owned homes. And in 434, the people sold land and goods as others needed resources. Peter's word to Ananias in Acts 5.4 makes it clear that the selling of homes and property was purely voluntary. So what was happening, though, is that people's property was being sold as anyone might have need for resources. 
It is a show of immense generosity as people gave not only their present cash or goods, but they gave away their future security as well in acts of sacrificial love to those in need. Kind of like cashing in your IRA to give to someone. Peter talks about the need to explain, extend helping hands in 1 Peter 4 9 where he says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. How often have we grumbled when the same people come back again and again because you know, they need something? Right? And to emphasize this aid to one another and that it involved more than just financial aid, he says in verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Paul comments on the heart condition and he says that the heart condition while giving is more important than the actual amount, saying in 2 Corinthians 8, 12 through 15, for if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there might be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, Whoever, whoever gathered little had no lack, referring back to the Old Testament with the manna, the gathering of manna. You know, the point is that when we give generously, no matter what we give, God's going to replenish. He's going to replenish, you know. You have nothing left over. When you die, what happens to all that money you still had saved up? You know, it goes to somebody else. And Solomon wrote a whole book about that, Ecclesiastes, how meaningless that was to spend your whole life gathering just so that somebody else could have it later. And that brings us back to God's promise in Malachi that he will open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. He will make sure that you have enough to give generously. Sometimes money, sometimes not. But only something that he gives you generously. It could be time. It could be time. It could be something else. He's given me a lot of time once we had our fire. I had a lot of time. And so what did I do? You know, I started to do more work with the church. I became an elder, which is time-consuming sometimes. Um, but he gives me as much time as I need to do that. And the times when I say, ah, I really don't have time, I really don't want to do it. In the morning when I'm reading the Bible, I don't have time to finish my prayers, my Bible. If I do that, he gives me the time that I need during the day to accomplish everything that I set out to do. Because I do it with the heart that honors the Lord. Paul and the apostles stress the joy of voluntary giving because God loves a cheerful giver. Jesus told the apostles, you're always going to have the poor with you. When they complained about Mary breaking this vial of perfume that was worth a year's worth of wages so she could anoint the feet of Jesus Christ. Here in Acts, the church is not promoting community of goods or communism, but is stressing the biblical injunction to help the needy. As Galatians 6.10 says, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, sometimes it's very clear about who we should extend helping hands to, right? Now, Dirk and Katie Jaspers are coming to Hot Springs in early March, right? They have no relatives here. They have no connection with Hot Springs. The first time they saw Hot Springs was about three weeks ago when they visited. Yet they're stepping out in the faith that God has called them to this ministry here at our church. And they will need helping hands of many kinds. And I'm sure that we will extend helping hands many times. But you know, helping out the new pastor is pretty easy. I mean, it's kind of a no-brainer, isn't it? But what about the others in our congregation who are not so easy to know, not so easy to know how to help, and not so easy to know whether they really actually need help? 
And let us know that helping hands is not just giving, but helping hands is also allowing others to have the joy of giving. People need to share their needs and be willing to let others know that they would like help. Because that's a helping hand to allow you to experience the joy of being able to help somebody out. And so often, though, our pride prevents us from asking for help, doesn't it? How often do we say, nah, thanks, I got it. I don't need any help. And yet we deprive others of their joy in helping us. We're robbing them of the joy which is received from giving. And so in the church, we need to do that. We need to share with others what needs we have so that others can help us because that's a part of the helping hand. It goes both ways. Our guess who's coming to dinner program allows for hospitality and the acceptance of hospitality. It also provides a great opportunity for sharing many things in our lives in a more intimate setting than the lobby of the church or between the, the, the chairs here. Take advantage of that kind of opportunity. Potlucks come up. We have an opportunity to share things, have an opportunity to sit next to people that we don't know we may think we don't really like them that much, but we might. We might. Well, you know, but how often do we form that conclusion based upon a, just a random comment? Like somebody, you know, we, we, get, we get upset and annoyed sometimes. People, oh, that person was mean to me. Yeah, well, maybe they were having like a really terrible day and they're really nice people otherwise. Well, you have a chance to know that if you sit with them and you talk with them. You know, in our own families, we know each other's needs, wants, fears, joys, challenges. We know the buttons to push and all that kind of fun stuff. But in our church family, we've got to make it our business to learn those things about those around us and to disclose to those around us our own needs. Because in Christ's church, it should be safe to do so. And I'm not suggesting that everybody is safe. Because not everybody sitting here is a believer. We know that. But we do need to step out in faith that God will reward us if we do that. In the grace of God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, we will be able to extend a helping hand to those around us and to share the love of Christ. So I'd ask you, are you, as you sit here today, a member of the household of faith? Has your statement of faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior resulted in an overflow of gratitude and giving to others? Perhaps you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. The good news, friends, is that God offers this free gift of forgiveness of sins and eternal life to all who confess their sins to him, who repent, turn to him, who believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the price for your sins, that he was raised from the dead to defeat death and the powers of this world, and that he is now Lord of your life. And if you believe those things in your heart and confess them with your mouth, you will be saved. Today is the day to proclaim that to the Lord. And so we look again at 1 John three sixteen through 18. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed in truth. That is the meaning of helping hands in our acrostic. Let us pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, give us a heart of giving. Give us a heart that sees those around us, opens our hearts to be able to see those things that maybe needs, wants, desires, Let us see loneliness, let us see need, let us see joy, let us share in that. Let us extend helping hands to each other, 
not only to give, but to receive. Lord, we ask that you would bless this congregation as we move closer to this, this, this remarkable thing that's going to happen here, Lord, and that we might be open to your leading and that your word would be implanted in our heart, that we would be able to share it with all of those around us, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.